Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Mathematics is full of weird number systems that most people have never heard of. But rational numbers are familiar. They're the counting numbers and the fractions, all of the numbers you've known since elementary school. But in math, the simplest things are often the hardest to understand. Rational numbers are nemesis since elementary school. They're simple, like a sheer wall, which makes them easy. But the challenge is there aren't any crannies or ledges or obvious properties you can grab a hold of. Min Young Kim is a mathematician at the University of Oxford. He's especially interested in figuring out which rational numbers solve particular kinds of equations. It's a problem that's provoked number theorists for millennia, and they haven't made progress towards solving it. When a question has been studied for that long without a resolution, sometimes you need a dramatically new idea. That's what Kim has done. And in the math world, coming up with a new way of doing things is a pretty big deal. Kim has described a new way of looking for patterns in the seemingly patternless world of rational numbers. He's described this method in papers and conference talks over the past decade, and he's passed it along to students who now carry on the work themselves. Kim has a vision, but it's not based only on the pure world of numbers. Instead, it includes concepts borrowed from physics. To Kim, rational solutions are somehow like the trajectory of light. If the connection sounds fantastical, it's because it is, even to mathematicians. For that reason, Kim says he hid it for many years because he was somewhat embarrassed by the connection to physics. He says number theorists are a tough crowd that can be skeptical of the math if there's physics involved. Number theorists, in some sense, are the most hard-nosed collection of mathematicians that you'll probably see. (laughs) To convince them that a new idea is useful is pretty hard. But now Kim says he's ready to make his vision known. Kim calls it a symptom of growing old. Now that he's in his mid-50s, he's ready to come out about the physics connection. Kim last summer hosted a conference that brought together both number and string theorists. He's also written articles that describe his inspiration to a mathematical community that's not used to thinking about numbers through such direct analogy with the physical world. But one stumbling block remains. Kim still needs to figure out a last piece of the physics-math analogy. He hopes to accomplish that by inviting others into his vision, especially physicists. Rational solutions to equations are the subject of many of the most famous conjectures in mathematics. Rational numbers include integers and any number that can be expressed as a ratio of two integers, such as 1, negative 4, and 3 fifths. Mathematicians are particularly interested in rational numbers that solve what are called Diophantine equations. They're polynomial equations with integer coefficients like x squared plus y squared equals 1. The equations are named after Diophantus, the Greek mathematician who studied them in the 3rd century AD. Rational solutions are hard to find in any kind of comprehensive way because they don't follow any geometric pattern. Think about that equation, x squared plus y squared equals 1. The real number solutions to that equation form a circle. 
Take away all the points on that circle that can't be expressed as a fraction, and you're left with all the rational solutions, which don't form such a tidy object. Kim says the rational solutions appear to be scattered randomly around the circumference of the circle. The conditions for a point to have rational coordinates, this is not a geometric condition at all. You can't write it as an equation or anything like this that the points have to satisfy. So this is why even after visualizing the real solution, to put that condition that the points should lie on a circle together with the condition that the points should be rational, this is quite a difficult problem to figure out in general. It's often easy to find a single rational solution, or even many of them, but mathematicians don't like loose ends. They're more interested in identifying all of the rational solutions. That's much harder. It's so difficult that proving even the barest statement about the number of rational solutions is enough to make you a mathematical luminary. In 1986, Gerd Faltings won the Fields Medal, math's highest honor, primarily for solving a problem called the Mordell Conjecture. He proved that certain classes of Diophantine equations have many rational solutions, but they're finite rather than infinite. There's a limit. Faltings' proof was a landmark result in number theory. It was also what mathematicians refer to as an ineffective proof. It didn't actually count the number of rational solutions, let alone identify them. Ever since that breakthrough, mathematicians have been looking for a way to take the next step. Rational points look like random points on the ordinary graph of an equation. Mathematicians hope that if they change the setting in which they think about the problem, those points will start to look more like a constellation that they can describe in some precise way. The trouble is, the known land of mathematics doesn't provide such a setting. Mathematician Jordan Ellenberg says it seems like there'd have to be a new idea to get effective results on rational points. Right now, there are two main proposals for what the new idea could be. One comes from Japanese mathematician Shinichi Mochizuki. In 2012, he posted on his Kyoto University webpage hundreds of pages of elaborate, novel mathematics. Five years later, that work remains largely impossible to interpret. The other new idea comes from Kim. He's tried to think about rational numbers in an expanded numerical setting where hidden patterns between them start to emerge. Mathematicians often say the more symmetrical an object is, the easier it is to study. Given that, they'd like to situate the study of Diophantine equations in a setting with more symmetry than one where the problem naturally occurs. If they could do that, they might be able to harness the newly relevant symmetries to track down the rational points they're looking for. To see how symmetry helps a mathematician navigate a problem, picture a circle. Maybe your objective is to identify all of the points on that circle. Symmetry is great because it creates a map that lets you navigate from points you know to points you've yet to discover. Now imagine you found all of the rational points on the southern half of the circle. Because the circle has reflectional symmetry, you can flip those points over the equator, and suddenly you've got all of the points in the northern half too. In fact, a circle has such rich symmetry that knowing the location of even a single point combined with the knowledge of the circle's symmetries is all you need to find all the points on the circle. Just apply the circle's infinite rotational symmetries to the original point. 
But if the geometric object you're working with is highly irregular, like a random wandering path, you're going to have to work hard to identify each point individually. There are no symmetry relationships that allow you to map known points to unknown points. Sets of numbers can have symmetry too, and the more symmetry a set has, the easier it is to understand. You can apply symmetry relationships to discover unknown values. Numbers that have particular kinds of symmetry relationships form a group, and mathematicians can use the properties of a group to understand all of the numbers it contains. The set of rational solutions to an equation doesn't have any symmetry and doesn't form a group. That leaves mathematicians with the impossible task of trying to discover the solutions one at a time. Beginning in the 1940s, mathematicians began to explore ways of situating Diophantine equations in settings with more symmetry. French mathematician Claude Chabody constructed a larger geometric space using expanded universe numbers called the Piatic numbers. He discovered that inside this space, the rational numbers form their own symmetric subspace. Chabody then took this subspace and combined it with the graph of a Diophantine equation. The points where the two intersect reveal rational solutions to the equation. Fast forward 40 years to the 1980s, when mathematician Robert Coleman refined Shabodi's work. For a couple of decades after that, the coleman shabodi approach was the best tool mathematicians had for finding rational solutions to Diophantine equations. It only works, though, when the graph of the equation is in a particular proportion to the size of the larger space. When the proportion is off, it becomes hard to spot the exact points where the curve of the equation intersects the rational numbers. That's where Kim came in. He wanted to extend Shabodi's work by finding an even larger space in which to think about Diophantine equations. Kim was looking for a space where the rational points are more spread out. This would allow him to study intersection points for many more kinds of Diophantine equations. If you're looking for a larger kind of space, along with clues about how to use symmetry to navigate it, physics is a good place to start. Generally speaking, a space in the mathematical sense is any set of points that has geometric or topological structure. 1,000 points scattered willy-nilly won't form a space. There's no structure that ties them together. But a sphere which is just a particularly coherent arrangement of points, is a space. So is the donut-shaped torus, or the two-dimensional plane, or the four-dimensional space-time in which we all live. But that's not all. There are even more exotic spaces, which you can think of as spaces of spaces. To take a very simple example, imagine that you have a triangle. That's a space. Now, imagine the space of all possible triangles. Each point in this larger space represents a particular triangle, with the coordinates of the point given by the angles of the triangles it represents. That sort of idea is often useful in physics. In the framework of general relativity, space and time are constantly evolving, and physicists think of each space-time configuration as a point in a space of all space-time configurations. Spaces of spaces also come up in an area of physics called gauge theory, which has to do with the fields that physics layer on top of physical space. These fields describe how forces like electromagnetism and gravity change as you move through space. 
You can imagine that there's a slightly different configuration of these fields at every point in space. And all those different configurations together form points in a higher dimensional space of all fields. This space of fields from physics is a close analog to what Kim is proposing in number theory. To understand why, consider a beam of light. Physicists imagine the light moving through the higher dimensional space of fields. In this space, light will follow the path that adheres to the principle of least action. That's the quickest path from A to B. The principle explains why light bends when it moves from one material to another. The bent path is the one that minimizes the time taken. These larger spaces of spaces that come up in physics feature additional symmetries that are not present in any of the spaces they represent. These symmetries draw attention to specific points, emphasizing, for example, the time-minimizing path. Constructed in another way, in another context, these same kinds of symmetries might emphasize other kinds of points, like the points corresponding to rational solutions to equations. Number theory has no particles to track, but it does have something like space-time, and it offers a way of drawing paths and constructing a space of all possible paths. From this basic correspondence, Kim is working out a scheme in which the problem of finding the trajectory of light and that of finding rational solutions to Diophantine equations are two facets of the same problem. The solutions to Diophantine equations form spaces. These are the curves defined by the equations. These curves can be one-dimensional, like a circle, or they can be higher-dimensional. For example, if you plot solutions to the Diophantine equation x to the power of 4 plus y to the power of 4 equals 1, you get the three-hole torus. The rational points on this torus lack geometric structure. That's what makes them hard to find. But they can be made to correspond to points in a higher dimensional space of spaces that do have structure. Kim creates this higher dimensional space of spaces by thinking about ways you can draw loops on the torus or whatever space the equation defines. Remember, a torus is shaped like a donut. The loop drawing procedure goes something like this. First, choose a base point, then draw a loop from that point to any other point and back again. Now repeat that process, drawing paths that connect your base point with every other point on the torus. You'll end up with a bunch of all possible loops that begin and end at the base point. This collection of loops is a centrally important object in math. It's called the fundamental group of a space. You can use any point on the torus as your base point. Each point will have a unique thicket of paths emanating from it. Each of these collections of paths can then be represented as a point to a higher dimensional space of all collections of paths. This space of spaces is geometrically very similar to the space of spaces physicists construct in gauge theory. The way collections of paths change as you move from one point to another on the torus strongly resembles the way fields change as you move from one point to another in real space. This space of spaces features additional symmetries not present on the torus itself. And while there is no symmetry between the rational points on the torus, if you go into the space of all collections of paths, you can find symmetries between the points associated to the rational points. 
Kim says you gain symmetries that you couldn't see before. A phrase that I use sometimes in various contexts is that there is a kind of hidden symmetry even in a non-symmetric object in the sense that there are various symmetric quantities we can consider for an object, even for an object that's not very symmetric. Just like Shibodi did, Kim finds rational solutions by thinking about intersection points in this larger space he's constructed. He uses symmetries of the space to narrow in on the intersection points. His hope is to develop an equation that detects these points exactly. In the physics setting, you can imagine all possible paths that a ray of light could take. This is your space of all paths. The points in that space that interest physicists are the points corresponding to time-minimizing paths. Kim believes the points corresponding to thickets of paths emanating from rational points have something of this same quality. The points minimize some property that comes up when you start thinking about the geometric form of Diophantine equations, only he hasn't yet figured out what that property might be. Kim says he's trying to find a least action principle for the mathematical setting. He says he doesn't quite have it yet, but he's confident it's there. Other mathematicians, including some of Kim's fans, don't quite know what to make of his latest work. So far, Kim hasn't mentioned physics in his papers. Instead, he's written about objects called Selmer varieties, and he's considered relationships between Selmer varieties in the space of all Selmer varieties. These are recognizable terms to number theorists, but to Kim, they have always been another name for certain kinds of objects in physics. Kim says it should be possible to use ideas from physics to solve problems in number theory, but the math field hasn't thought carefully enough about how to set up a framework. He says we know enough about physics and have enough mathematicians interested in it to be able to make the push. The main obstacle to the development of Kim's method lies in the search for some kind of action to minimize in the space of all thickets of loops. This kind of perspective comes naturally in the physical world, but it doesn't make any obvious sense in arithmetic. Even mathematicians who follow Kim's work closely wonder whether he'll find it. Today, the language of physics remains almost entirely outside of the practice of number theory. Kim thinks that likely will change. Forty years ago, physics and the study of geometry and topology had little to do with one another. Then in the 1980s, a handful of mathematicians and physicists, all towering figures now, found exact ways to use physics to study the properties of shapes. Kim says the field has never looked back. It's almost impossible to be interested in topology and geometry nowadays without knowing something about this. <laughs> Kim says he's reasonably sure the same thing will happen with number theory in the next 15 years because the connections are so natural. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Kevin Hartnett's full article, Secret Link Uncovered Between Pure Math and Physics, on our website, quantummagazine.org.